The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of Crown Point Baptist Church and Pastor Mark Ermler. Many Americans believe that since the Republicans won the election that we're doing okay. But I'll be honest with you, America is not okay. And things are not fine. Because ultimately we know that the answer to America's problems, uh, the answer is not a political one, it's a spiritual one. One of the mottos of our ministry is, in order to save America, we must get America saved. Why is that? Well, because only the Lord Jesus Christ can ultimately change the heart. And we've got to reintroduce Jesus. And he needs to have, as we preached about in the Sunday school hour, he needs to have preeminence. I mean, in our homes, specifically as individuals, he's got to have first place. He ought to have first place in your house, within the church house. And why not him have that preeminence also in the White House? If we believe that Jesus is the answer, let's get him involved uh, in our politics, in our policies, and help us to regulate our conduct. And you will find that our founding fathers were men who desired God to be involved. And when they were there uh, at an impasse in the 1780s, and our country was literally falling apart underneath the Articles of Confederation, our first form of government as the United States of America, uh, that when they were facing an impasse and when they were at that time of difficulty, when it seemed like all was lost and, man, we were going to lose this experiment in liberty, as we were known, this, this country, you'll find that those men, they turned to the Lord and asked God for his wisdom to preside, and I quote from, Tom, uh, from Benjamin Franklin, for God to preside over our councils or for God to be in control of our thought and our wisdom to help us do the right thing because so much is at stake. And please be here. That's just maybe a little commercial. Please be here tomorrow night. Uh, we're going to preach about that more and share more about that story. And I'm excited about what God has in store. Well, we started uh, in Sunday school in Deuteronomy chapter number four. And we m- mentioned those two things, uh, the two things that will bring uh, national greatness. And that is God must have the preeminence and God's word must have a priority. You know, I just want to stop, by the way, and mention that the church has always always been an important and crucial part to this country. I, I think back into our history, and I, I just I felt led to finish this thought before we launch into the message tonight. Uh, it's just been nagging me all day. Have you ever felt that way? You know, there's just so much information I wish I could share. And by the way, we have a couple of books back there that has all this in it. So I encourage you to read the documented material back there. But the church, God's people have always been influential and have always been a crucial part in the direction and the establishment of America. I think back into our history, within 50 years or so of declaring our independence, America was a global power. Now, this was unheard of. I mean, we were leading the world in commerce and agriculture and inventions. The rest of the world was baffled by this. How is it possible for such a new nation to become so great so quickly? Well, there was a a famous 19th century French statesman historian and social philosopher. He traveled to America in the 1830s to discover the reason for the incredible success of our new nation. Maybe you've heard of his name, maybe you haven't. His name was Alex de Tocqueville. Now, unfortunately, many times, if we're not careful, he will be misquoted. Uh, But I want to share with you what he said to the French Senate after he was in America and experienced this great country and then went back to the old world and standing before those men, those people who had sent him to discover the secret of America's greatness, he made this statement, and I quote, I went at your bidding and passed along their thoroughfares of trade. I ascended their mountains and down, went down into their valleys. 
I visited their manufacturers, their commercial markets, and emporiums of trade. I like that phrase, emporiums of trade. He went to the grocery store. Amen? That's what he said. I'm going to go to the emporium of trade. I entered their judicial courts and legislative halls, but I sought everywhere in vain for the secret of their success until I entered the church. Where did he go? Well, he went to the hearing the truth place. Amen? He said, it was there as I listened to the soul-equalizing and soul-elevating principles of the gospel of Christ as they fell upon the masses of the people that I learned why America was great and free and why France was a slave. It was not until he went to the churches of America and heard her pulpits aflame with righteousness and many times that statement has been attributed to him, aflame with righteousness, uh, even though he didn't make that statement, that's what he was trying to say. He, he then understood the secret of America's genius and power. And I believe that you would, you would agree with me. I, I believe that America was great in generations past because America was good. But ultimately, we must understand that goodness and godliness does not come from within because the heart is deceitful. It is desperately wicked. Above all things, who can know it? By the way, that's why our founding fathers implemented a system of checks and balances within our Constitution because of that very verse and that very principle. They knew that power could corrupt and they did not want a specific branch of the government to run away with absolute power because of the deceitfulness of the heart and the corruptibleness, if you will, of power if men are making decisions in the flesh. Goodness and godliness comes from the ultimate standard of morality, the Word of God. The Bible is essential for America's greatness. And the moment America ceased to be good from following God and His Word, America's greatness began to slowly but surely crumble away. And we've been talking about some great things this morning, about the sacrifice of our founding fathers and the patriotism and the love and the desire they had to put their all on the line and how that we ought to maybe implement that spirit of patriotism to go forth and boldly proclaim Jesus Christ and earnestly contend for the faith. But tonight, if we could not, not be a pessimist, but tonight we could be a realist and understand exactly where we are as a people. And I believe that God is looking for a conscious generation. Would you join with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter number 13? Romans chapter number 13, and, and we heard the verse quoted there on the video. Uh, Romans chapter number 13, verse number 11. Romans chapter number 13, <coughs> pardon me, <coughs> verse number 11. We find here a sobering thought, an invigorating thought, an admonition, if you will, an exhortation from the Lord. He says, and that, knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. Of course, we know as believers, as Christians, that every moment and every minute, every hour and day that we live, it brings us closer to the return of Christ. Praise the Lord. Amen. The best is yet to come for the believer. But the Bible says, and can't you sense the urgency? Can't you sense how that God is seeking to be sober-minded and is wanting to shoot straight with His church? He's saying, hey, and that, and here's the phrase and the thought tonight, knowing the time. 
in all that God's people, that we would step back for a moment, that we would be conscious, that we would be aware, that we would be alert, that we would be engaged with what is going on around us. And if we're not careful as Christians, being involved with the busyness of life, that, that we will, so to speak, bury our heads in the sand and become oblivious of the condition that our country is morally and spiritually in. And I pray tonight that God will just move and work in our hearts to remind us of some things and renew and refresh and to reignite our perspective and our passion to go all out for God in the day and age in which he's placed us to live. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and finish the thoughts tonight. Heavenly Father, please be with us for the next few minutes. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you'd continue to anoint uh, this, the, this meeting and anoint this service. And Lord, I pray that, that uh, even though some of these things that we're going to look at are sobering, God, that we would understand the big picture, that all is not yet lost. <laughs> and a pessimistic view certainly has no place in the work of the Lord. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And Lord, I pray that you'd please use these thoughts to motivate us and stir us to be the Christians that we ought to be in this day and age. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. There was a man by the name of Daniel Webster, and maybe you recognize that name from this morning. He was a very pivotal, very influential statesman uh, during the 1800s. And he made this profound statement. He said this, If we abide by the principles taught in the Bible... And back then, isn't it amazing to see how unashamed they were about Scripture, how unashamed they were about God? One of you this morning said something about how that you learned that fourth verse. I believe it was you, dear brother, how that you had to memorize all the stanzas of the Star-Spangled Banner in order to go on to junior high. Is that correct? And God back then was not a dirty word. And our founding fathers and those influential leaders throughout history, man, they acknowledged God. They acknowledged His Word. They understood the importance that it played in our civilization. Daniel Webster said, If we abide by the principles taught in the Bible, our country will go on prospering and to prosper. If we and our posterity, or our children and our children's children, the generations to come, if we and our posterity shall be true to the Christian religion, If we and they shall live always in the fear of God and respect His commandments, we may have the highest hopes of the future fortunes of our country. Basically, he was saying, hey, the best is yet to come. I mean, America has not yet reached its brightest spot, but yet uh, God can still bless and move and work, and we will see even greater things accomplished than what we've already seen in the lifespan already of this young country. After this encouragement... It's almost like he turned tables for a moment to paint a picture of the other side of the coin. He said, but if we and our posterity neglect religious instruction and authority, violate the rules of eternal justice, trifle with the injunctions of morality, or we basically redefine what morality is, and we are going to become a God, and we are going to say what's right and what's wrong. Are you with me? and recklessly destroy the political constitution which holds us together. And I'll be honest with you, I believe that we're seeing the tampering of that. He said, no man can tell how sudden a catastrophe may overwhelm us and bury all our glory in profound obscurity. Of course, we talked this morning about how those words under God were added to the Pledge of Allegiance there in 1954 and what a thing that was and how it stirs my heart every single time I say that pledge. It stirs my heart every single time I think about how those special words, those precious words were added to that Pledge of Allegiance. But what happened in less than a decade? 1963. 
Madeline Murray O'Hare, man, she caught everybody by surprise, didn't she? With her flagrant spirit. And, and of course, you know, I, I wasn't around back then, but man, the beauty of YouTube, so to speak, is to be able to glimpse history and to see just how obnoxious that she was and just literally took everyone by surprise and railroaded through her atheistic, if you will, and, and godless uh, desire upon the masses of America. And in 1963, we removed Bible reading. We removed prayer from the public school system. Ladies and gentlemen, I, be- I believe that when a nation, well, the Bible says, let me put it this way, the Bible says in Psalm 9, I believe it's 913 or 917, he says, the wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. And we'll find a similar pattern here with America as we did with Israel. Now, by the way, it's interesting to note that America is the only nation in the history of mankind that has been based upon the principles and precepts of the Word of God from the beginning of the Old Testament to the end of the New Testament. So, man, that's, that's, pretty, that's a pretty, you know, pointed statement to make. Do you have anything to back that up with? Yes. <laughs> and it's amazing to see how Scripture played such a crucial role uh, in the Constitution, there's 28 different ways or 28 even different biblical principles that you can find in the Constitution, even though the name of God is not mentioned one time. Of course, the name of God is mentioned four times in our Declaration of Independence and how, as we mentioned this morning, our founding fathers quoted the Bible three times more than any other source in their writings. But if we are not careful... We'll begin to see our nation, and, and, and if we're not careful, as we remove God and we remove prayer uh, from the public school system and from our social uh, society and from our community, it is going to lead America the wrong direction, just like with the children of Israel. You'll see in the Old Testament how that they forsook God. And then another generation later, they forgot God. And then another generation after that, they began to follow false gods. And I believe that America has been following a similar pattern because of our stepping away, if you will, from God and His Word. Now, as Christians, we know better. Amen? And as Christians, let us, as the Bible, as Jesus Christ admonishes us, and man, He's encouraging you to do, in Luke 19, 13, occupy till I come. Or don't give up any ground. You keep on being salt and light as your new uh, uh, growth group is called. Hey, Ben, you keep on being the testimony that you should be. You keep on standing uh, in the gap and you continue to be in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom you shine as lights. Praise God that God can and he will use you if you are willing to be used. I don't know about you, but that is just a profound thought. Hey, Ben, I mean, who are we? Wicked sinners saved by grace. (laughs) We deserve to die and go to hell because of our sin and the wickedness that we've committed. But thank God for his love and how that we can be restored. We can be redeemed and God will use people like us for the furtherance of his heavenly kingdom. By the way, God is not looking for spectators. He's looking for participators. He says, and that knowing the time that now... Not tomorrow, not when you feel like it, not when it's convenient for you, not when it's comfortable and not awkward, but rather now as you follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit of God. Now as you are spiritually enthusiastic, now as you have a desire to be used of God, understanding that every single day that you live brings us closer to the return of Jesus Christ, but also brings us closer to the time when we, as human beings, will go to be with the Lord. Now, I, I, I don't want to be a pessimist or morbid, morbid, but like right now, it's crazy. 
Right now, I'm closer to death than I was even this morning. Of course, death is nothing to be feared, all right? Just simply a transition from this, this life of sin and the struggles and sickness and all that stuff and, and forever being in the presence of God, amen? What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. But now, while we're still here upon this earth, we must, we ought to, we can make a difference. I'm only halfway through the first page of notes. We are in sad shape tonight. 1963, that happened. 1966, the sexual revolution commenced. 1970, the homosexual movements gained momentum. 1973, Roe vs. Wade. Even a secular institution, even the Index of Social Health has pinpointed 1973 as the very year the moral deterioration of America began. Since that time, violent crimes have risen 995%. Suicides have risen 300%. Unwed teen pregnancies have risen 425%. Uh, uh, let's see, child abuse has risen 2,300%. Illegal drug use has risen 6,000%. I believe that you would agree with me in the statement that America is, is spiraling downward. <laughs> I, I, I love America. As I mentioned this morning, I'm proud to be an American. But ladies and gentlemen, my heart burns within me. My heart is bothered within me. Would you keep your finger there in Romans chapter number 13 and turn with me, if you would, to the book of Nehemiah there in the Old Testament, the book of Nehemiah. I think we initially see some things here in the life of this wonderful man that God used in a great way to restore his country. We find some things that I believe should be prevalent in our heart and lives as well. Nehemiah chapter number 1. Ezra, Nehemiah, Ezra, Nehemiah, <coughs> there in the Old Testament. Are you still with me? Would you say amen? This is kind of a, a heavier message, if you will, but I believe that we need to look at things realistically, amen, and let these things motivate us to keep on keeping on, and we'll, we'll see how that will work here in a moment, so just bear with us. Look at Nehemiah chapter number one, chapter number one the Bible says uh, in verse number, oh, let's see here, verse number two. That Hananiah, one of my brethren, came, he and certain men of Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left of the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. Of course, Nehemiah was, was a, if you will, a servant. He, he was, had been, in his generation, had been carried away into captivity, and, and he was a cupbearer of the king. Verse number three, and they said unto me, the remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province, that are in the province, are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. And there's, I wish I could stop and, and preach about that, the walls of America being broken down. Uh, what has made this nation great is being burned with fire. The building blocks of this nation are just lying in heaps of rubbish, and God is looking for folks who are going to have the heart of what Nehemiah teaches, to rise up and build. Amen? But verse number four is what we're looking at here for just a moment. The Bible says, and it came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. 
And I believe that we see a trifold, if you will, transition in the heart of Nehemiah and how it must have been. Man, he was pumped, he was excited, his family was coming from Judah, from Israel, and, and as he welcomed them, and as they, they began to converse, he then, of course, I'm sure very excitedly asked, hey, how's it going back home? And these men began to tell the truth. We see here, the Bible says, as we've already read, that Nehemiah, that he said, as I heard these words, that I sat down. The connotation here is that Nehemiah was, was bothered by what he heard. It was almost as if the wind was knocked out of him. Then when he heard what was going on, he, he had to step, hold on just a minute, he had that sick feeling, that nauseousness, if you will, and how that he had to, man, just sit down as the reality of what was going on in his country as it began to set in. I wonder tonight if we're bothered by what we see happening across this nation politically, financially, that should sicken us, right? Emotionally, spiritually, or I wonder tonight if it doesn't even phase us. I don't know where you're at. And if we're not careful as Christians, we will become insensitive. We will lose that compassion. We will become calloused and we'll have that mentality as we, we pull back into our hamlets, if you will. We pull back into our homes and we say, as long as it doesn't affect me, then we're okay. May the Lord help us to lift up our eyes Look on the fields as Jesus taught us to do, amen, and see that they are white or ready to harvest. I think about the story, the, the account that Jesus gave about a man who was on his way to Jericho and, and he fell among thieves. You know the story of the Good Samaritan, don't you? And how the Bible says there was a, as this guy was laying there on the side of the road, beaten, I mean, he was bruised, he was lying in a pool of blood, helpless, no hope. The Bible says that there was a priest that came by, men of God that came by, and saw this man in the state he was in and said, wow, I don't want anything to do with that. I don't want to lower myself down to what's going on with him. I don't have any time for that. Man, goodness, that's his own fault. Hey, I mean, he, if he was foolish enough to, to come along the road at this time of day or that time of night, man, that's his mistake. He's got to deal with it. And he skirted along the side as far away from this individual as possible, and he went on his way. And old ladies and gentlemen, the Bible teaches us that we need to condescend to men of low estate. That we ought not be hesitant to roll up our sleeves and be like that good Samaritan and help those who are in need. You think about America right now, and we'll finish the story of the Good Samaritan in a moment, but to think about America right now, over 50% of marriages, both of Christians and of lost alike, they are, they are ending in divorce. 60% of children have never been to Sunday school. 70% of teenagers do not attend church. 85, this is crazy, 85% of those teenagers who went to church with their parents while living at home, do not go back as soon as they are on their own. According to George Barna's research, and, he, and this is appalling, almost 60% of teenagers believe that not recycling garbage is more of a moral crime than viewing pornography. 47% of all American teens believe that morality is relative or that it is what you want it to be giving complete allowance to a person to create their own rules to live by. 24% of teenagers have never read the Bible. 48% of millennials, people in my age group, do not believe that Jesus is the Son of God. 
So do you remember the statistic we gave this morning? 11 out of the first 13 states required you to believe in Jesus as the Son of God and believe that the Bible was the Word of God in order for you even to hold public office. Do you see how far that we have strayed? Do you see how far we have deviated, how far that we have drifted away from what I believe our founding fathers desired for this great country? And America still is a great place to live. And I love America. I'm proud to be an American, but I don't love some of the things that are happening. I'm not proud of some of the stuff that we're, we're embracing and some of the things that we're promoting in all that God's people. We would be like Nehemiah, that our hearts would be bothered when we hear, when we see, when we study, when we acknowledge the news and what's going on across this country, that we would, oh my, I, I, I gotta sit down spiritually. Knocks the wind out of us. There's a sick feeling in our stomach. And man, something within us, it, it's troubled. We're, we're in distress, if you will, in turmoil about what's going on to our country, to our community, to our friends and our families and the place where God has put us to make a difference. I know that we're still talking about the Good Samaritan. But in Nehemiah here, the Bible, and let me just finish the thought here, the Bible says that he sat down and wept. He was bothered, but then he was broken. Of course, the Bible says the eye affects the heart. Man, Nehemiah just heard, and he was affected. And I wonder tonight if there is a brokenness within us. If there is, number three, a burning, a burning. The Bible says that he mourned. It wasn't just a weep of just tears of sadness. Oh, what is happening? But rather, it was something that weighed heavy upon him. By the way, this is how you can develop a biblical burden. In all that we would see a revival of a burden again in churches across America. People who are not just drifting through life, going from point A to point B, but people who have a pressing of the Spirit of God. People who want to make a difference, amen? People who are going to develop this passion, this desire. It begins with that. Where there is no vision, the people perish. Where there is no burden, when we're not bothered and broken, man, inside of our heart, we're burning. Oh God, something is wrong. And, and God, please use me, if it be your will, to make a difference. To leave an impact, to, to further your heavenly kingdom here upon this earth. That's where it begins, Amen? By the way, I'm going to jump ahead of myself and just mention this. And when I say jump ahead of myself, I was planning on saying it maybe tomorrow or Tuesday. But if I say it now that I don't have to preach it then, that means that service will be a little shorter. Amen. But anyway, the Bible says in Philippians 1.21, For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. But for me to live is Christ. If I am still drawing breath, if you are still alive right now, regardless of whatever stage of life you're in, God is not through with you yet. And I know that there are different phases and different chapters of life, and sometimes you're not able to physically do what you used to be able to do, but listen, understand this. When God closes one door, He will always open another. And God doesn't want you to sit off to the sidelines. Man, God has an occupation for you. God has a work for you. And Lord willing, we'll get into that tomorrow or Tuesday night. So be here. Amen. And hey, God wants us to do something, but it begins with that fire, that, per that passion, that burning, that brokenness, being bothered. And there, as Jesus was telling the story of the Good Samaritan, 
I suppose tonight in my mind's eye I'm viewing that man who was hopeless and that was helpless, kind of like the, the broken homes, the abused children, the lost souls, the disjointed peoples and places in our communities. That's what I'm kind of viewing it as tonight. And let's not be like that priest. <laughs> he said, I have no time for that. Flip, 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 flip. Snooty, 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 snooty. But then we find the Levite. Now, this guy was a, a worker of the Lord. And he came by, and man, he, wow, look at this. Man, this is horrible. Of course, I'm paraphrasing, okay? Bear with me as I use my imagination. And he, look at this, this is horrible, man. This, is, this guy is messed up. This is rough stuff right here. Man, I, uh, I wish I, I, man, I wish I didn't have an obligation. I wish I wasn't so, here's the word, busy. I, I wish that I didn't have to fulfill whatever the commitment was, and I wish I could help you, but I can't, and I've got to go on and leave you in the dust. And if we're not careful as Christians, our lives will get filled with busyness when our life should be consumed with business. Now, I know that there's obligations, that we have a schedule, and we ought to be honoring in that and have integrity to keep our word. <laughs> Absolutely kind of hard sometimes when they have three small children, but we try, amen? But this is where it's at. And I am guilty of this. And I pray on a daily basis, God, help me, help me, help me not to let this happen. But if we're not careful as Christians, we will take what's, if I could word it this way, temporally unimportant. And that will become what's first and foremost. You're so narrow-minded, we got the blinders on, if we will, but we got to do that. And then we, at our convenience, we try to fit in what's eternally important. For instance, we're in a rush, we're getting gas, all this stuff swiping the credit card ain't working, okay, we smashed the thing with our fist, no, I'm just joking, and, we do, and, and we're putting in the gas, and man, we got to go back into the van because we got to text somebody and all this stuff, and man, all, and we forget to leave a track, maybe. Maybe there's a person beyond the way, and just give them a gospel track, or maybe as we're pulling through a drive-thru, quickly going, man, on the brief time to lunch, we, we fail to miss those divine appointments, I guess my heart is just so heavy with what we're going to be talking about on Tuesday with soul winning and things now. But, but to just say, hey, the Lord loves you. Oh, man, I would love for you to come sit with me in church, pass him a track. What, what, that takes 10 seconds. Amen? And listen, I'm not seeking to beat anybody over the head tonight. I'm preaching to myself. You know that I would have the desire to, to, instead of making what's temporally unimportant, first and foremost, to reverse it. Here's what's eternally important. And then I'm going to fit everything else around that and have a desire to make sure that what God would have me to do is going to be paramount in my life. And then, of course, there was the Good Samaritan. He came, and even though he was prepared to go on a long journey, he changed all of his plans to meet the need. Sometimes God wants us to do that. Helping people ultimately will take time and money. <laughs> Time and money, time and money. But what a joy it is to be able to make that investment. What a joy it is to make that influence. What a joy it is to make that impact. And I believe tonight that God is looking for a conscious generation. People who are going to look beyond themselves. People who are going to no longer have this all is, if I could mention this, an all is lost mentality where, man, just look at the news and 
Look at what's going on here and there and all this stuff. Oh, there's nothing we can do. And, and I suppose, in a sense, there is nothing we can do. There's something He can do through us. If we would be that living sacrifice. Are you with me tonight? Would you say amen? We are a nation gone under. That needs to again become one nation under God. You know, as we already noticed in Nehemiah, that our hearts would be burdened and, and broken and bothered. They would be burning with the direction of this country. Here's an interesting statement that I wrote, wrote down. Could it be that more tears are being shed in movie theaters and in front of our home entertainment systems over imaginary tragedies than in our churches and in our family altars over real ones? Could it be that we weep over fiction but yawn about fact and the fact of the state that our nation is in? I don't know about you, but I mean, I could be watching Finding Nemo and I'm weeping at the end. <laughs> Anybody else guilty of that too? You know, you're trying to hide the, hide the tears. Maybe there's nobody else. Okay, I'm the only weird one. But man, but to look beyond that and to see the need right around our community, a conscious generation, a conscious generation. Would you turn with me in your Bibles quickly? And we're almost done tonight. It's always funny. The person in the pew has no idea when the notes end, but the preacher does. And bear with me. We're almost there. All right. The book of Jeremiah, the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter number four, verse number seven, and we'll also see verse number 19, and this is, I'm not going to preach this, this is something that we've already noticed in scripture, and in the message tonight, but this is talking about being a conscious generation, and that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. An interesting parallel that we could find. The Bible says in Jeremiah 4, 7, The lion is come up from his thicket. And the destroyer of the Gentiles is on his way. He has gone forth from his place to make thy land desolate, and thy cities shall be laid waste without an inhabitant. And I believe that Satan has an agenda for this country. I mean, what, what are we teaching right now in the public school system? We are indoctrinating our children with the lies of evolution and socialism and atheism, and we're teaching them as doctrine. I mean, right now, we're likening George Washington to a Karl Marx. They're both revolutionary in their thinking. I'm sorry, but that's two different ends of the spectrum. And there's so many other things that we could discuss but although we would understand that there is a spiritual warfare, and you better mark it down, that Satan has always had his crosshairs, if you will, on this nation, America, a land where we're going to remain one nation under God, and God we trust, and our hearts should understand that he is marching. He has an agenda to destroy this nation. Verse number, four, uh, verse number 19, he says, My bowels, my bowels. This is kind of like what was happening to Nehemiah. He said, I am pained at my very heart. My heart maketh a noise in me. I cannot hold my peace because thou hast heard, O oh my soul, the sound of the trumpet, the alarm of war. And there is an alarm of war resounding across this great land. And while there's still time to make a difference, may we be that conscious generation. But notice, if you will, and we're going to end the message on a positive note. Amen. Turn with me to Jeremiah chapter number 32. Jeremiah chapter number 32. 
We're going to read verse number 17 and verse number 27. And as you're turning there, I just want to mention, and I've already said it, at times when we watch the news or read reports, it can seem overwhelming. The forces of evil are spreading abroad across the land. It seems that the church of God and the people of God are facing insurmountable odds. But have we forgotten? Verse number 17, Jeremiah was just overwhelmed. He said, Ah, Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heaven and the earth by thy great power and stretched out arm, and there is what? Nothing. Nothing, nothing too hard for thee. Verse number 27, now God is speaking. He says, Behold, I am the Lord. I mean, just think of that phrase, I am, right there. Hey, Ben, he is not the has-been. <laughs> he is the I am. And he will always be the same Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever, and the exact same God that spoke the word, and the worlds were formed. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. That exact same God is still the exact same God of today. You know, there is not a lineage of deities or of gods in every generation. Or it's like the mantle of godhood is passed from one being to the next, and now we've got, you know, whoever now that's assuming the role of Jehovah. No, it's the exact same one from eternity past. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, yesterday, today, and forever. And I believe that God is looking for a confident generation. Sure, a conscious generation, and we're sober-minded, and man, our hearts are, are filled with the realism of what's going on in our nation, but we understand if God be for us, who can be against us? I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. I can become more than a conqueror through Him that loved us. God has never needed a majority to make a difference. He's only needed ten righteous in the days of Sodom, Sodom and Gomorrah to give those people a space of grace. He only needed one human being to stand in the gap in the days of Ezekiel to give that nation a little bit more time before he destroyed the land. We can continue on with the application and the thoughts throughout the word of God. In verse number 27, he says, Behold, that word simply means kind of like this. Hey, pay attention. Notice this right here. It's like big flashing lights. I want to get your, hey, look right here, look right here. Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? And what do you think the answer to that question is? No. Nothing's too hard for the Lord. You know, I believe a lot of Christians, if we're not careful, will stumble around asking that question. Can God? Can God? When we need to confidently, courageously, reverse the two. And believe, beyond a shadow of a doubt, God can. I love what the Bible says, and you don't have to turn there. It's a wonderful verse to memorize, but in Ephesians 3.20, and we're, we're done with this, Ephesians 3.20, the Bible says, now unto him that is able. Now you could put a period right there, and as they say in the South, it would be, enough said. The Bible says, now unto him that is able to do or to accomplish, to bring to, fru- to, to bring to fruition, to bring about, to him that is able, now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. Is it too late for America? 
I don't know. God is a just and a holy God. And God cannot allow a person or a people to get away with sin. But when a nation confesses and forsakes and gets that sin right, God gives them mercy. Why? Because the reason we have the major and minor prophets, the reason we have all this message of judgment is because of God's love. If God didn't care, he would have said nothing in the first place. And every single time you find a message of judgment, there's always on the flip side the message of mercy linked with it. I'm going to leave you with this last thought and we'll be done. For the sake of emphasis, I'm going to close my Bible to prove that we are now wrapping up the message. Instead of, and this is a powerful thought, and I'll probably mention it again tomorrow or Tuesday night, instead of accepting that we have become the next Sodom and Gomorrah, let's be committed that we would become the next Nineveh. You say, what in the world does that mean? Come back tomorrow night. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of Crown Point Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, please consider leaving us a review or sharing the message on social media. Thanks once again for tuning in.